Hi, everybody. I'm Aaron Solomon, and welcome to the Next Level podcast. We are in season two, and we have an extremely great and timely guest today. It's my pleasure to introduce Samir Patel. Samir is a Miami-based attorney who specializes in lots of interesting things. I think of Samir as part of the new generation of young lawyers who are going to be on the leading and bleeding edge and shake things up. Samir, it's great to have you on the podcast today. Thanks for having me on, Aaron. That was a great intro. I appreciate that. Well, you're very kind. Thank you very much. So, Samir, you are going to be like a professor of the people today <laughs> because we're going to talk about stuff that I'm, I, I was thinking about this the other day. I think what we're going to talk about, probably 75% of our listeners have heard of, and of those, maybe 7.5% actually know what it's about. Do you think that that's a fair estimation? No, I think that that number of people that actually understand what an ad T is, is significantly smaller than seven and a half. <laughs> okay, good. So we're going to talk about NFTs. And basically, at a very, very high level, an NFT is a non-fungible token. And when you tell people that, they're like, that doesn't help me in any way, shape, or form. I don't know what a non-fungible token is. Why don't you start off by giving us a sense of what an NFT is, and then we'll talk about its forms and its applications. Sure, of course. So, so the easiest way to understand what a non-fungible token is, to first look at what a fungible token is. So a fungible token, as we know it on a blockchain right now, are things like Bitcoin or Ether, which is the native token for the Ethereum blockchain platform. And so those tokens being fungible means they can be exchanged one for one with another Bitcoin. You won't lose any value, you won't get any more value. You'll just take one Bitcoin and exchange it for another Bitcoin. The easiest way to extrapolate that into the real world is dollars. Dollars are in essence fungible tokens. I could give you a dollar and you can give me a dollar back. Of course, them being the same currency from the same sovereignty. But that's the best way to explain what a non-fungible token, uh, sorry, what a fungible token is. So a non-fungible token are tokens that are unique from one another. So if I had one NFT, I would not be able to exchange it for your NFT and think that I'm getting the same thing back. So non-fungible token means that the tokens are not fungible. They are all separately unique, kind of like a snowflake. Oh, snowflake is a very good thing to raise these days. <laughs> Got it. So non-fungible means it can't be replaced with something else. So there is this degree of uniqueness within all of them, which I assume is what is driving its desirability among a group of people who want NFTs. That's absolutely correct. So especially considering the art industry, the NFT serves as a serial number or certificate of authenticity or a certificate of ownership over that piece of art because each certificate is different from another. So a couple of weeks ago, I wrote a national piece that I quoted you in, and it was about the Kings of Leon's new album, which came out as an NFT. And that was the first entire album that's ever dropped as an NFT. Before that, we saw a few artists drop an individual song or a series of, I like it, the old guy's going to be like, quote, a series of beats that was packaged <laughs> into something that was less than an entire album. 
but Kings of Leon did an entire album as an NFT. Tell us a little bit about maybe why they did that and what it actually means. Like you don't go to the NFT store and come back with an NFT album and like a six pack of Diet Coke, right? No, of course. So, so I first off, I must admit as well that I have purchased that Kings of Leon NFT. I, I, I succumbed to the hype and I bought Sweet. the NFT. And another thing too is actually the first song that was associated with an NFT was released back in 2015. It was an underground house song. So the idea is that NFTs being associated with music has been around for a long time. Um, so let me tell you what the, NF, the Kings of Leon NFT actually is. So you go on one of these websites called OpenSea, which is the, the incumbent, the big player uh, currently in the NFT space. You would go onto their website. You would type in the Kings of Leon album cover and you would get sent to their homepage. And from there, you would buy your NFT. So the actual price of the NFT was $60. So I'm paying $60 for a certificate of authenticity or a certificate of ownership uh, to that Kings of Leon album. So I have that token now in my crypto uh, cryptocurrency wallet, uh, which is called MetaMask. But again, we're probably going to the deep in the woods uh, here. So we'll keep it a little bit high level. So I would have the token in my possession. And what I would do is I would be directed to a regular website. Uh, it, in this case, it's called yellowheart.io. And yeah. I would go to that website and I would connect my crypto, cryptocurrency wallet and it would automatically identify that I have the NFT token in my wallet, allowing me the opportunity to then download the album from that website. So you can kind of think of it like the NFT serves as a username and password to a homepage, and then once I put in those credentials, I'm then able to download the album. But the NFT for Kings of Leon takes it even a step further. So not only are you able to download the album, but after March 18th, you're going to stop selling the NFT tokens. Um, and you're then allowed to redeem, again, that token for a gold album, an actual physical gold album. It's their album and it's gold plated. And then you would put in your shipping details. And then a couple of weeks later, they will send you this gold album. And I think it's actually pretty ingenious because the people over at Kings of Leon identified that the NFT token in and of itself really is not worth $60 because you could probably buy an album off of Apple iTunes for $15 if you really wanted to. So what they did is they added that extra add-on value where eventually you'll be able to redeem your token a second time and then get yourself an actual physical piece of art from the band, which would be that gold album. So a couple things. So first of all, it's funny that you mentioned gold albums because when I was a kid and I've always loved music, um, one of, I actually had a gold album. It was a gold album that came out. Uh, everybody could buy it. It obviously wasn't real gold and it was sticks pieces of eights. <laughs> it was very cool to in all of my collection to have one album that was colored gold. But let me ask you about the specific NFT. So when you redeem this token, when you say redeem, do you mean that you have to give it back to get this gold album or you'll always be in possession of the token? So I will always be in possession of that token in my cryptocurrency wallet. Uh, so what would happen is 
that website that I told you about, the, the yellowheart.io, it automatically identifies that it has the token on my wallet, but it won't ask for the token back. It'll just identify that I have the token in my wallet, then allow me to download the album, then eventually allow me to put in my shipping details in order to get that gold physical album. So but, in but, my app, go ahead. So just to reiterate that the token never leaves my wallet. I will always be in possession of that NFT token. So I'm going through my Apple wallet right now, and I have a boarding pass to go to Reykjavik from a few years ago. And the problem, even Volcano aside, is that, that that really now has absolutely no value to me, this boarding pass in my wallet. But the token that you have in your wallet for Kings of Leon one day could have a lot of value theoretically, true? Correct. It certainly can. So another way that NFTs are really cool, and you're, you're, you're going to... We're seeing this right now in NBA Top Shots, and we'll get to that in a, in, a, in a minute. But the actual NFT kind of serves like a notch on a leaderboard. So the token that I have, it's actually number 3,751. So if you were to go to that yellowheart.io website, and then you would look at all of the NFTs were sold, they would be ranked from one, the first one sold, all the way to the last one sold. And so I have number 3,751. But whoever has the number one token, whoever bought it first, and then has that notch on that leaderboard, theoretically in the future, that could be worth some kind of value to a Kings of Leon fan. So before we get to the sports stuff, let's play with that for a second for our listeners. So imagine whatever, let's say in 2021, after a very difficult 2020 for everybody, and not a really inspiring start to 2021 for most. Nonetheless, let's say somebody comes out with a piece of art in the rest of 2021. It becomes a non-fungible token and history would later see that piece of art as the next Mona Lisa. That's kind of what everybody's betting on in a way when they collect these art NFTs, no? Absolutely, that's exactly what they're trying to do. So then, Basically, this gives an opportunity for young visual artists. I'm thinking of like actual, as most of the people listening, imagine art. So if we think of that context of a Mona Lisa, there are people out there doing digital art and commanding huge sums for the NFT. And this is a very, very recent thing. So why is that happening? A lot of us in this space that have been in this blockchain space since the beginning, since around 2014, 2015, with Ethereum, we have noticed that there are that the blockchain space goes through ebbs and flows. And, and the last time we had something like this occur was in 2017 during the ICO boom. So ICO stands for initial coin offering. And at that time, what a lot of startups were doing, specifically along the west coast of the United States, was they were releasing a, a token, a cryptocurrency token. Mind you, this is of the fungible sort, um, so that each token is pretty much the same and can be exchanged. But they were releasing these tokens as a, in, as a means to, to get equity back. So the initial coin offering was synonymous with an IPO, hence the ICO, IPO kind of lineage there. Right. So during the 2017 era, bled over into 2018, startups were receiving huge amounts of money because everybody was jumping on this blockchain bandwagon where there was FOMO involved with it, fear missing out. And so all of these tokens were banking on blockchain. And, and, and a great example of that is Kodak. 
So Kodak was a floundering company up until 2017, 2018. And then they released a, a press release saying that they're going to now uh, pivot to, to blockchain. And literally that's what they said. There was no actual substantive explanation regarding what exactly they were going to do with blockchain. They just said they were going to pivot to a blockchain company. And then everybody started buying the Kodak stock. I, I don't know if you may remember, it went from, it went from dollars to, to $50. And, of course, and everybody it was, was crazy. Quite, it was absolutely crazy. Another example of that was uh, the Long Island Ice Tea Company. They were initially called the Long Island Ice Tea Company. And then all they did was they put in blockchain in their name and became the Long Island Blockchain Ice Tea Company. And then their stock soared as well. So you can kind of see the resemblance now to what's happening with NFTs. Digital art has been around for so long. People have been creating digital arts using JPEG PNGs for a very, very long time. And, and so nothing has changed as far as the way people are consuming digital art, except for the fact now that we're in, we are integrating NFTs into it. And so everybody now is banking on, or, or, or everybody now is getting really enthusiastic about blockchain and art, which has been a use case for blockchain ever since back in the day, back in 2013, 2014. But now we're seeing it come to a head in mainstream society. So people are buying these tokens, not really understanding what they're getting, but they don't want to, they don't want FOMO. They don't want the fear of missing out. You see, I would argue that's a really good thing. And I'll tell you why. So part of the reason we're having this discussion today is because of the really huge social media backlash against NFTs. People are really digging in and making fun of NFTs, you know, in part because they just don't understand it and they haven't even taken an hour of their time to come up with a baseline understanding of what it is. We agree on that, right? I mean, the vast Correct. majority of people who are making fun of it just have no idea what they're making fun of. Absolutely, absolutely. My thesis is it's a very good thing, by the way, for NFTs, that people aren't understanding it because of that element of FOMO. This fear of missing out is going to allow some people with means to try to play in this wild, wild west, assuming that this is you know, very disposable income for them, and they're going to figure things out as they go. You're absolutely correct. There are, so there, there is one uh, NFT class. They're called crypto punks. Uh, and they are literally just small pixelated images, square images, no smooth corners. Um, and, and they're really, really small and, and it's just a face. And so the hair could change, the skin color could change, the way the eyes are separated could change. But if you were to look at the CryptoPunk, you would think that it's just an avatar for your Sony PlayStation Live Network uh, profile. However, these little pieces of art are selling for $50,000, $100,000. When you would look at it and think that there's absolutely no way that thing would be worth $100,000, yet to somebody they are, to, to people who have been in the blockchain space, who have thousands upon thousands of ethers uh, in their wallet, they don't have an issue spending $50 or 50 of their coins on one of these images. Because another thing too, is that a lot of the people who have been in blockchain for a long time have no problem spending their cryptocurrency in order to market blockchain to other people. So Great fact, point. They, yeah. what they think they're doing is they are perpetuating uh, blockchain and integrating it more into mainstream society. So they are going to run up these prices 
in order to get that Main Street investor to fear to, to have FOMO. They're essentially becoming cultural ambassadors as well as influencers. Absolutely. And so because NFTs have been around in the cultural underbelly of blockchain, like I alluded to since the beginning, um, the, the actual first NFT token, the specs of it were created back in 2015. So it's been around part of the under, uh, underbelly culture of blockchain, and now it's coming to a head in mainstream society. So a lot of these people who have been in the blockchain space since the beginning feel like there's a, they have a responsibility in order to make it even more mainstream. And also it benefits their pocket as well, because now we're seeing that prices are exploding. So I'm sure you saw, I think it was on the weekend, that Gucci released an NFT sneaker. I saw that. Actually, as a matter of fact, the reason why I saw that was through your Twitter profile. Okay, thanks. So this is very interesting. And the response that I've had from people, so basically in sum, you have the opportunity to purchase a sneaker from Gucci, but you're actually never ever going to get a sneaker. You're going to get the opportunity to wear these non-fungible token sneakers on your profile. It is, it, that's exactly it. And it's absolutely, it's absolutely crazy. It's a great I, idea though from, from Gucci. Again, so what Gucci is doing is they're striking while the iron is hot, releasing this NFT and literally that, the, to create the digital image of the sneakers costed Gucci pennies because they have graphic designers in-house. So it all probably just took a graphic designer a morning, if that, to create uh, that digital image. And then it took them maybe a, a little bit longer time for their IT department to create the non-fungible token. Furthermore, they could have gone to OpenSea or Rarible or any one of these online marketplaces and created it on their own. There's no need for Gucci to start from scratch when it comes to creating an NFT. Uh, and, and they just struck while the iron was hot. And, and I, please, please uh, inform me. I don't know how much it actually ended up selling for. I think you, it starts off at a couple hundred bucks. But you see, to me, even though everybody's making fun of it, I, like I'm, in a, I'm an OG sneakerhead. And I'll tell you why I think it's brilliant. This, this idea of what you wear you know, isn't just a physical thing. I think we've learned that a lot in the last year. In the last year, the things that we've worn have only been available digitally. I want to explain that to our listeners for a second. Whatever you've been wearing for the last year, you've may mostly been sharing with the outside world through your Zoom calls, right? Because we haven't been getting together with people. Yeah, yeah, absolutely right. So what's the difference if I'm wearing a pair of sneakers on a Zoom call or a podcast and you can't see them, or I'm quote unquote wearing a pair of sneakers on my Twitter or LinkedIn profile, and you can see them. To me, it's absolutely beautiful. So as a sneakerhead, the one pair of sneakers that I'm trying most in the world to get right now is a Reebok, Reebok release called Lost Angels. They released in 2017. It's not on StockX. They're basically impossible to find. So you're thinking, okay, well, then you take the L, right? You lose. But if I could buy those Reebok Lost Angels as a non-fungible token, and I could possess that token and wear them on my profiles, it's better than not having the sneakers. No, you're, you're absolutely right. And, and you alluded to it. People are taking their digital avatar to the next level these days. Um, their digital avatar can be posted everywhere. Another thing that you can look at is, is filters. If having that digital sneaker on your feed is kind of synonymous with having a filter for your photo. You're trying to enhance your photo to your audience. And so if you could have a pair of digital Gucci's on your feet, that would enhance your profile to, to your audience. So we've got to reserve time, which we're going to do now, to talk about something we both love so much, which is sports. One of the things I love about you 
is that like me? You just think about sports all the time. I mean, we've, I'm sure we grew up in the same way in a little bit of a different era, but I mean, we just both love sports so much. And with the NBA trade deadline coming up, it's a great time to talk about NBA things. So can you explain to people who've probably, it's funny because I know people who've heard of NBA Top Shot. And if I say to them, not in, in, not, not in an aggressive way, but if I just say, what, what is NBA Top Shot? I have not had a correct answer yet from people who think they know what it is. So why don't you tell everybody what NBA Top Shot is? And by the way, it's not gum. I've had people tell me it's gum. It's not. It's a good idea, but it's not. So I think through the organic conversation that you and I had at the previous 20 minutes, we've actually given all of the listeners the, the tools that they need to now understand what an NBA Top Shot is. So let me break it down. So with an NBA Top Shot, you are getting, you are getting an NFT which would be a notch on the leaderboard on the NBA Top Shop website of a moment, of a highlight. So for example, let's say Kyle Lowry, our favorite Canadian basketball player, has a layup yesterday against the, the Houston Rockets, and I can't believe they lost last night. <laughs> but last night, they, Kyle Lowry hit a layup, and it was a, great, it was a great highlight. What NBA Top Shots would do then is they would take that highlight, make it into like a 15-second a, a GIF, a 15-second highlight, add some background music to it, and then they would host it on their own website. It would be posted on their website, and then they would send out or they would release, let's say, 1,000 NFTs. And each one of those NFTs, remember, is unique. So the first one has a different serial number than the 1,000th one. And what NBA Top Shots would do then is they would disperse those 1,000 moments within their packs. So they would sell three moments in one pack and the baseline pack is $9 and then they have different moments. Um, if they were to decrease the amount uh, of serial numbers on the moment, let's say from 1,000 to 100, that pack of three of those moments would be $229. And let me just say, there was a drop yesterday of a pack and there was three... 107,000 people in line waiting for it. And they're only releasing 67,000. Wow. So in, so in essence, what you're doing is you're buying an NFT, a notch on a leaderboard. And if you go into the NBA Top Shot marketplace, it's on their website, you will see that those moments that have that higher kind of, the higher uh, number on the leaderboard list go for exponentially more than those on the on the bottom part of the list. For example, there's a Kawhi Leonard layup, uh, and it has 15,000 uh, notches on the leaderboard for that moment. I currently have 851 out of 15,000. That, in and of itself, that moment, that notch on the leaderboard is worth around $1,200. If you go down to, let's say, the 34,000th moment, of that, uh, the 34,000th notch on the leaderboard for that Kawhi Leonard layup moment, you're looking at $12. So again, it's all about the perception to the actual collector. How, how much do they value Kawhi Leonard? How much do they value that moment? How much do they, how much are uh, a fan of they are the Clippers? And all of those things together create that intrinsic value for that moment. So I want to take it even a level deeper for those who, so we were trying to be general before, you know, for the general audience. Now I want to get super granular for sports folks. So just yesterday, Steve Kerr made a comment. He said that, listen, even last year when we were like something like 12 and 55, something like that, 
was he was in a better frame of mind and was happier than the last year with KD because there were all kinds of problems. That moment itself where a coach makes that admission about team dynamic could become a top shot. It could become that next level NBA collectible. Absolutely. You would have a moment, again, we're just talking off the top of our head, but you could could have a a highlight of Steve Kerr on the sidelines during a a timeout, during a two-point game in the fourth quarter of game seven of a playoff. And just that highlight in and of itself of Steve Kerr coaching hard could be a very valuable top shot to a Golden State Warrior fan. Because again, that team dynamic now becomes an intrinsic value, value part of the actual moment. And, and, and to the collector, that could be worth more or less money. Now, can't this be the final thing that kills the NCAA? And let me tell you why. And by the way, I think killing the NCAA as the dinosaur that it is would be a remarkably good thing. Here's my thesis on this one. The NBA is by far the most international of all the leagues that we follow. It really is. I mean, there, you know, I lived in China. I saw CBA games where former NBA players went. You know, I, there's NBA player development happening all over the world. Couldn't players as young as grade school eventually get money from being part of next level NBA collectibles that within the current guidelines of the NCAA would make them ineligible when they were like 10 years old? Or is that no, way out of line? No, I, I, I mean, we see it nowadays. So there are All-American basketball cards. So the McDonald's All-American basketball players, which are generally the top high school players throughout the world, there are collectible cards for those All-Americans. And then a lot of those All-Americans end up going to the NCAA. So I'm sure that at one point in time, their representation when they were a high school student asked for some kind of some kind of uh, name, image, and likeness fee. That's certainly possible. And I'm sure that their, their agents at the time, or sorry, their family members at the time would instruct them to do so. But now that we're seeing name, image, and likeness permeate through all of the five power conferences, it's going to give these athletes an opportunity for them to make that revenue on the side. That being said, they certainly do need to be careful about not having an NCAA logo or any kind of NCAA copyrighted material in their NFT. That could be their jersey. Um, it could be the logo on the courts. It could be the logo on the jersey, whatever, what have you. But there is absolutely nothing stopping uh, an athlete posing on the side of, of their swimming pool or dunking a net on their driveway from turning that into an entity and generating some kind of revenue for it. And you will certainly see those things trickle down the road um, and become a lot more prominent as the name, image, and likeness legal battle within the United States comes to a head, which it should um, within the next year. What I love about all of this as a sports fan from that non-fungible perspective is that what sports is really all about for all of us is about memories. So when I think back to my greatest sports memories as a kid, I was at the Red Army Montreal Canadiens game. Wow. When I watched that on YouTube, and you can get really good quality, full game on YouTube. By the way, one of my favorite things to do almost every night is I get deep into the colorized NFL vault. These experts who basically colorize games from the 50s and 60s down to every detail in the uniform. I would pay money to see this. So I think back to my favorite sports memories you know, I, last night I was watching Frank Gifford as a rookie for the Giants. 
like it's unbelievable stuff that's out there. People are going to pay for this. People who make fun of NFTs within sport don't understand that people are willing to spend money on a lot more than sweaters. Absolutely. And, and so like I, you're a huge dog guy and I, and I don't mean to offend, but I mean, pet owners are synonymous with sports fan owners, in which case they'll spend irrational amounts of money to satisfy their urges. Uh, and so you will see that and from a sports collector too. They're, being a sports fan in and of itself is an irrational emotional experience. And so spending money and laying claim to being the number one owner of, of one of the best highlights in, in, in professional hockey or amateur hockey, it, it's something you really can't put a price tag on. Sure, you can buy that moment and have your, have your monetary value to it, but to the owner being able to see that they're number one on the leaderboard and then correspond that with the highlight, it, 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 there, there's too much intrinsic value for somebody to, to articulate. Samir, it's been unbelievably great having you on the podcast. I absolutely think that you did a great job as an educator today. People who don't get NFTs are going to listen to this podcast. And I think that you're going to pique some people's interest. It's too bad you can't get a commission. <laughs> well, maybe I'll, we'll, we'll NFT this podcast. I there you go. See what happens. <laughs> Samir, thanks for joining us. Have a great rest of the week. Thank you, Aaron. Take care. Bye.